0: Would go ahead and turn with me again to the book of Romans, in chapter seven. The book of Romans, chapter seven. Last Sunday evening, we began looking at verses seven through twelve, and we are going to pick up our study of that paragraph this morning. Romans chapter seven, verses seven through twelve. As we work our way verse by verse through this incredible letter. Romans chapter 7, I'll begin reading in verse 7. This is the word of God. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. I was recently reading through a list of 21 biblical principles for fathers who want to raise godly children. This was a a list put together by uh, Douglas Wilson, who many of you are familiar with, a pastor out in Moscow, Idaho, and he had this list, 21 principles for fathers who want to raise godly children. And at the top of his list, principle number one, was a principle that I think we might all agree should be at the top of the list. Principle number one was this. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Love the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Father, if you want to have a positive influence on your children, begin here. Love Jesus. This affects everything else. Principle number two was another one that I think we would say, absolutely, that makes sense. Principle number two was this. Love your children by loving their mother. Love your children by loving their mother. Marriage is meant to be a picture of the gospel. So you're, you as a husband, your love for your wife will be a portrait to your children of Christ's love for His church. The gospel picture of marriage is preached to the children of the home more than anyone else. And so a father's love for his wife will profoundly affect the children. But it was the third principle on the list, the third principle that kind of caught me by surprise. It caught my attention because it was not a principle that I would have even thought to put on a list of 21, much less to have it in the, in the third place. In the third spot... Only behind loving Jesus and loving your wife, Wilson said that fathers should teach their children to love the standard and to not just conform to it. Love the standard and not just conform to it. That is, fathers are not just to teach their children to keep the rules. Fathers are to teach their children to love the rules. Fathers are not just to teach their children to obey commands. Fathers are to teach their children to love the commands. Now where did, where did that come from? And why was that principle so high on his list? Well, the answer to both those questions is found in verses like these. Listen to Deuteronomy 28, 47, 48. Listen to these words. This is the Lord's indictment of his people. Because you did not serve the Lord, your God, with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. So why was God going to put this curse on Israel? Was it simply because Israel had failed to obey His commands? That's not what God says. The verse says that it was because Israel failed to serve God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. In other words, church, when it comes to following God, obeying God, submitting to God, the heart matters real obedience is not just external it's rooted in faith real obedience to God begins with a heart that trusts God loves God receives his commands as a sweet gift for our good when we love God we will love his law and receive it as precious We live in a society where so many parents are called up in behavior modification. That is, they are not looking to see the hearts of their children changed. They just want their kids to behave. What happens is these children often grow up to be moral people on the outside. But there's no real love for truth and goodness on the inside. Real obedience to God is not just conforming to the standard, it's loving the standard. It is obeying God out of love for God and therefore out of love for His will. This is why the father in the book of Proverbs does not simply give his son a list of rules to follow. But rather, over and over again, we hear the father in the book of Proverbs say things like this, Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart. Give me your heart. The father in the book of Proverbs understands that if his son doesn't truly love him, if his son doesn't understand that these words are a gift to him, that these commandments, these proverbs, these counsels and advice, if if the son doesn't understand that these are for his good and love them, he will not keep them. The son might obey when the father is in the room. But what about when the father is not in the room? What about when the father is here and the the son's in a dorm room a hundred miles away? So you see, real holiness has its root in real love for God. And without this, our best efforts at morality will always fall short. That is why Paul, in this paragraph, is striving to help us get to the point of verse 12. Verse 12 is what he wants us to understand. Verse 12 is the central doctrine of this paragraph. The law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. That is, the law of God as a whole, and each and every commandment of God including the one he mainly has in mind, you shall not covet, but every individual commandment of God is holy and righteous and good. It is to be cherished. It is to be celebrated. It is to be received with joy. Mount Hermon, we are to be like David, declaring to God, I hate, I abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Psalm 119, 163. So last week we looked at verses 7 and 8. And in verses 7 and 8 we saw that Paul was particularly emphasizing what has historically been known as the second great use of God's law. The moral law of God, woven into the fabric of humanity, summarized in the Ten Commandments, further summarized as love God and love your neighbor. The moral law of God has three great uses. The first is the civil use to restrain sinners and keep them from being as wicked as they could be. The third use is called the normative use in which Christians see the law as the normative standard for how they are to live their lives. But what Paul is focusing on here is the second use, the pedagogical use, the the law as a teacher that teaches us our own wickedness and our need for a Savior. The great use of the law that Paul is celebrating here is the law as a mirror that exposes to us how filthy we are and how badly we need to be washed. A driver will not stop and ask for directions until he's willing to admit that he's lost. A student won't ask for help with her assignment until she is willing to acknowledge that she really doesn't understand what to do. In the same way, we will never look outside ourselves for salvation until we become convinced that we are hopeless on our own. We must come to grips with our own sinfulness, with our own crooked hearts. Then we will be able to run to Jesus for help. Jesus said that He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And until we are ready to admit that we are great sinners, we cannot be saved by Jesus. Thus, true gospel preaching... True gospel preaching always begins with the law of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, A gospel which merely says, come to Jesus, and offers Jesus as a friend, and offers a marvelous new life without convincing of sin, is not New Testament evangelism. The essence of evangelism is to start by preaching the law, and it is because the law has not been preached that we have so much superficial evangelism. True evangelism must always start by preaching the law, end quote. Remember the, the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? This rich young ruler comes and he seems ripe, he seems like the easiest evangelistic encounter in the history of the world. He comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, now that's the kind of gospel encounter we pray for, isn't it? Rather than us having to get up the courage to figure out how to bring up the conversation and, and Lord, how am I going to be able to talk about this with my friend? How can I? Your friend just comes to you and says, Can you tell me how to be saved? That's, that's what we pray for. So this this man comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How would you respond? Do you respond by saying, trust Jesus? Would you respond by telling them about the grace and the mercy of God? Jesus responded in the complete opposite way. Jesus responded by preaching the law. This man says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Why did Jesus respond that way? The reason is that self-righteous people cannot go to heaven. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. This man... Did not yet see himself as a sinner. Jesus came to save those who see their need of him. This man was not coming to Jesus out of desperation. This man was coming in confidence. This man was coming full of pride. He was simply wondering, "All right, I have my checklist. I've done this, 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 and this. I'm going to ask Jesus if there's anything I've failed to do. Something I've overlooked that I can get out of the way. You remember the man's response. All of these I have kept from my youth. What does that show about that man's heart? Oh, those, those Ten Commandments? I've kept all of them ever since I was a little child. Did this man really see his need for Christ? Was he really ripe for salvation? This man was making the same mistake that Paul addresses in Romans 3. He was assuming that it's other people who are wicked. But I'm okay. I've been keeping the commandments. Of course, you and I know better. Compared to other people, this man might have kept the commandments relatively well. Maybe he really never had told an explicit, blatant lie in a big way. Or maybe he he really... I don't know. Do you think he had always shown honor to his mother and father? Always? He probably had never committed adultery. Do you think he'd ever had an adulterous impulse in his heart? He was a son of Adam. He was a sinner. And the law of God was what Jesus brought before him to break him, to show him his need of sin. Now, mark this, the law of God does not do this work unless it is accompanied by the Spirit of God. It is when the the Spirit of God takes the law of God and presses it on our consciences and presses it on our hearts that our eyes are open to see our great need for Christ. What did Jesus say to this man? Oh, I've kept all these commandments. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. We are told that when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. Why would Jesus lay down that law for that man? Jesus does not call all people to sell everything they have and give it to the poor. But Jesus gave that commandment to this man. Why? He was helping this man to see that his heart was still full of love for stuff and the stuff of this world. This man's heart still was attached too deeply to his money and his possessions. They were his true God. So someone might see this this man walking away from Jesus sad. And they might say Jesus was a terrible evangelist. Here was a man ready to follow him. Here was a man who, who seemed ripe for the gospel and he goes away sad and unsaved. But dear friends, this man left better off than he came. He came full of self-confidence and self-righteousness, far away from God. He left having begun to see the depravity of his own heart. He left humbled, and God draws near to the humble. Now we don't know what happened eventually, but we see this example of the law of God being used. Dear friends, as we seek to lead others to Christ, we must do the same thing. Most of the folks that we seek to witness to, deep down they really believe that they're pretty decent folk. Yes, they've sinned some, but compared to so-and-so, they feel like they're okay. It's the worldview that they have. And as long as they see themselves that way, they are far from truth, and they are far from God, and far from salvation. And so in our witnessing, and our preaching, We must begin with the law. We'll look at it in verses 9 and 10 of our passage. Look at verse 9. Let's hear Paul teach this to us. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. This is Paul giving us a testimony. This is Paul speaking of his own experience. Like other Pharisees, there was a time when Paul did not see himself as a great sinner. In fact, just the opposite. There was a time when Paul had believed that by his own good works, he was a righteous person. In fact, in Paul's own mind, he was alive to God. He thought everything between him and God was great. He considered himself a holy man. He looked down on those who didn't have the relationship he thought he had with God. He thought he was alive. Then the commandment came. In Paul's case, in particular, it was the 10th commandment. You shall not covet that the Holy Spirit used to begin to bring change to Paul's soul. It wasn't that he'd never heard the commandment before. He'd heard it his whole life. But the Spirit through the 10th commandment caused Paul to see that real obedience was not merely external. It's internal. Sure, outwardly, Paul could keep from committing adultery. Yes, outwardly, Paul could keep from stealing or murdering or bowing to pagan idols. But those were all external things. How could he keep from coveting? Covet goes straight to the heart. So through this 10th commandment, Paul saw that he could not stop coveting. That he was rotten on the inside, that his soul needed help. It was through the 10th commandment he saw what he's going to teach in a few verses that the law of God is spiritual. It's a matter of the soul, a matter of the heart. God isn't just asking him not to outwardly bow to pagan idols, but to not put anything before God in his heart. God wasn't just asking him not to commit adultery, but to be pure in his heart. God wasn't just asking him not to commit murder, but not to have sinful anger in his heart. And so through the 10th commandment, God began to show these things to Paul. And suddenly this self-righteous Pharisee began to see himself as the chief of sinners. In his own perception, sin came alive. He died. He realized the truth about himself. What made this all the more clear was that now that he understood this, the sinning didn't stop. In other words, knowing the law, knowing his wretchedness, knowing that he was impure within, knowing what God required, it didn't make a difference. Try as he tried as he tried to stop coveting. Sin took hold of the 10th commandment and just coveted all the more. Various kinds of coveting, he says. I was coveting in this way and I was coveting in that way. And I didn't want to be coveting, but I was coveting. Paul found out just how helpless he really was. Was. I wonder if there's anyone here who needs to have this realization. You have never come to grips with the fact that living an outwardly decent life is not the same thing as being holy before God. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. If you disagree with this teaching, That you are a corrupt sinner, desperately in need of a Savior. Try the experiment. Give it a week. Do your utmost to keep all Ten Commandments from your heart for a week and see if Paul's testimony doesn't become your testimony. Use the law of God to show you your own need for Christ. See how you fare. See if you do not find that your heart is prone to wander, prone to fall into many of the sins that God has forbidden. See that if you are to be made right with God, it's not going to be by you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's going to be by you having to find help, outside help. And I'm not talking about a therapist. I'm talking about a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sadly, it is a general truth that those who are dead to God and on their way to hell often believe that they're really alive. That's the way it was for Paul there in the beginning. He thought he was alive. And so many today are dead to God and they think they're alive. They never killed anybody. These people are living in darkness. And when a room is in darkness, you don't see the dust that's everywhere It's only when the curtains are thrown open and the light comes in the window that the dirtiness can be seen. That's what the law does. It shines light into a person's life so that the filth is revealed and Christ can come in and wash you through the Gospel and the Spirit of God. Why do so many people assume that they are alive and that all is well with their soul when it is not? Sometimes connection to a local church plays a role in this delusion. Just as the Jews in Jesus' day assumed that because they were Abraham's children, they must be okay. So it's possible there are some even in here who believe that because their parents went to church, or because their grandparents went to church, they too must be okay. Or they may believe that because their name is on a membership roll, they must be okay. And other times it can be a misreading of God's providence. Their life seems to be going well. Maybe this person is money. Maybe this person has had success at work. Maybe this person has had relatively good health throughout that person's life. And they assume, well, if God was really angry with me for my sins, he wouldn't have allowed all these blessings to come my way. They mistake His kindness to them as a sign that they must be doing well, that God is pleased with them, with the decent life they think they're living. They do not realize that they are whitewashed tombs, all clean and sparkling on the outside, but full of death on the inside. Still others assume that it is well with their soul because they had some encounter with the Gospel at some point in their lives. And though the Gospel did not fundamentally change their hearts, and Christ is not now honestly the chief love of their lives, they did have an experience. They cried a few tears. They felt the weight of conviction for at least a few moments, maybe even a substantial amount of time, and they assumed that those moments of conviction are the same thing as conversion. But it is not. It is not. Another reason why people presume that they are okay with God when they are not is their own love for themselves. They think so highly of themselves. They love themselves so much that they cannot imagine that God is not pleased with them. Maybe this person has done many great deeds in his or her lifetime, cared for the poor, served the community... This person may be so full of his own self-righteousness he thinks it's a safe bet that God must too be very proud of him and that when he gets to heaven he will receive a, a pat on the back. a boy. How little this person understands that God hates the proud. God resists the proud. He draws near to those who know their wretchedness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People compare their lives to others and assume because they are living better than so-and-so, they must be okay. Rather than choosing God's standard, they create another standard, the Joneses. And as long as I am doing better, more decent than the Joneses, well, that standard I'm doing okay on, I must be okay. But it's not God's standard. It's a standard you've created. So you see, there are all these reasons why people can be just like Paul used to be, alive in their own estimation. And it is the law of God. It's a precious gift, a painful gift. It is the law of God that kills them that helps them to see their own spiritual deadness. Apart from the law of God, they would go on blind. They would go on straight towards hell without even knowing it. Dear friends, we ought to love the law. We ought to praise God for the law because it is through the law that we came to Christ. It was through the law that we were shown the scariness of hell and the way of salvation, the Gospel. Dear friends, Don't ever let us despise or speak in negative terms about the law of God. Notice, by the way, that whereas Paul says he died when the commandment came, he says his sin came alive. When the Holy Spirit starts using God's law to convict us of our sin, We suddenly start noticing our sins everywhere. Right? Before the law of God began to come to bear on our consciences, we used to live in sin. We were sinning all the time, we were sinning everywhere, but we didn't notice and we didn't care. But when the law of God begins to do its work, suddenly we begin to see our sins. Suddenly we begin to feel our sins. Suddenly they are a burden. Upon our back, our consciences have been made tender and the Spirit uses the law to prick us again and again and again. Every wicked thought, every wicked word, every wicked deed, it becomes baggage for us. It becomes painful for us. Whereas before, we thought we were doing okay. Suddenly, our sins are a weight upon us. We now see ourselves as dead and we need to be alive. Look at verses 10 through 11. Verses 10 through 11. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. The commandment promised life to Paul. That is, keep the commandments and you're alive. Keep the commandments and you will be right with God. Keep the commandments and you will be blessed. So the commandments seem like, oh, this is the way of salvation. Keeping the commandments. The Ten Commandments are a ladder through which I can get to heaven, right? Commandments promise life. But they proved to be death. Paul, in trying to keep the commandments, found out he could not do it. And he was now under the curse of death. You've heard people say, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Make sure you understand what Paul is teaching here. He is not saying that the law killed him. He's saying the law was the instrument used. The law was the gun. Okay. Don't hate the law. Hate the one who wielded the law to kill him, which was sin. Sin pulled the trigger sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, that's the gun, sin's the one pulling the trigger, deceived me and through it killed, killed me. Sin is what brings the curse of God upon us. Don't hate God's law. Hate sin. Paul, in his own sinful self-righteousness, through what the law Through that, through the law, he could be right in his own power before God. This was sin's deception. And as he tried to keep the law, sin acted out again and again. Paul coveted again and again. And sin killed him and killed him and killed him until he lay dead before Almighty God. So let's hear it again. The point of this passage is that the law is not bad. The law is good. And it is we... Who are by nature wicked. It is we who need to be changed, not the law. Therefore, we need a Savior who can change us and make us right before God. We need a Savior who can give us a new heart with new desires to do the right thing. Conforming outwardly to God's commands is not enough. We need internal heart change. The law shows us our need for Christ, the gospel brings us the cure. And What is the gospel? It's the truth that Christ died for sinners. It is the truth that God bore the punishment our sins deserved so that He could be just in putting His Spirit into our hearts to make us pure and holy and fit for heaven. If we are willing to stop depending on ourselves, to trust Jesus instead his perfect work is sufficient to make us right with God this very second once we have trusted Christ as we follow him each day he will continue to give us new desires to keep his law not just out of a sense of duty but out of real delight Our duty will be our delight. Mount Hermon, let us love the law of God. Mount Hermon, let us love the Savior who saves us from its penalty and enables us to keep the law of God from our hearts. As we go to the Lord's table, as we take the bread, as we take the cup, let us remember together that it is only because of the cross that we are saved and have the promise of heaven. Let us profess together. Jesus is our only hope. We don't look to our own hearts for salvation. We don't believe in ourselves. We believe in Christ. He is all our hope. He brings us forgiveness. He brings us a heart that loves God and God's law. To Christ be all the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.